Here we go. You're listening to the Drifters Legends Clubhouse Radio Online. Come on! Your talk music station. Atlantic Slave Trade by Butch Leak Episode 3. Taken from the Afro-American Experience Wisdom. Your host, Barry Sattler. The Atlantic Slave Trade, Overseas Exchange, or Euro-American Slave Exchange featured the deliberate transportation by slave merchants of African individuals, for the most part to these Americas. The business routinely utilized the three-sided shipping lane commonly known as the Triangle Trade and Middle Passage and existed from the 16th to the 19th centuries. Most of those Africans subjugated and moved in the Transoceanic Slave Exchange were Central and West Africa. Sold by other West Africans or significantly European, vendor sovereigns, to Western European slave brokers, with little numbers caught during beachfront strikes by dealers, who carried them to the Americas. Barring the Portuguese, European slave brokers by and large didn't take part in the assaults because the future for most Europeans in sub-Saharan Africa was short of one year during the slave exchange, which was before the improvement of quinine as a treatment for jungle fever. The South Atlantic and Caribbean economies were primarily reliant upon work for sugarcane creation and different wares. Western European states were essential to this economy, which were fighting with one another to make abroad realms as late as the 17th and 18th century. During the 16th century, the Portuguese were quick to participate in what is known as the Atlantic Slave Exchange. The main transoceanic slave journey was finished to Brazil in 1526, not long after different Europeans followed. Shipowners viewed the slaves as mere freight to be moved to the Americas rapidly and efficiently, be offered to deal with estate businesses of espresso, tobacco, cocoa, sugar, cotton, gold, rice fields, silver mines, the development business, cutting wood for ships, in talented workers, and as homegrown workers. The principal Africans captured to the British states were delegated contracted workers. They had a comparative lawful remaining as agreement-based specialists from Britain and Ireland. During the 17th century, bondage had changed into a racial station, with African slaves and their future posterity lawfully the property of their proprietors. Kids destined to slave moms by the guidelines set were additionally slaves, partus sequitur ventrum. As property, the prisoners were viewed as product or work units and sold in business sectors with different labor and products. The critical Atlantic slave-exchanging countries, requested in terms of professional career volume, were the British, Portuguese, Spanish, French, Dutch, and the Danish. On the African coast, a few of these countries had set up a station where they bought slaves from neighborhood African pioneers. Slaves were overseen from structures by the seashore to work with the delivery of captives to the New World. Slave prisoners were detained in a production line while standing by to be moved. Calculations show that around 12 to 12.8 million Africans were transported across the Atlantic for more than 400 years. 194 the number determined for buy by dealers was significantly high, as the entry had a high death rate, with roughly 1.2 to 2.4 million slaves perishing during the journey. Millions passed on in the Caribbean preparing camps, where they were tormented and broken like ponies, after their appearance in the New World. Many prisoners kicked the bucket because of slave attacks, wars, and transport to the African coast available from European slave merchants. The 19th century saw the start of different governments acting to boycott the exchange, albeit the illicit carrying exchange happened. From the get-go in the 21st century, a few governments gave conciliatory sentiments for the overseas slave exchange. Atlantic Travel 
The advancement of the Atlantic Exchange started after the foundation between what we know as the Old World, Afro-Eurasia, and the New World, Americas. For a long time, flowing flows had made sea travel especially troublesome and dangerous for the accessible boats. Consequently, sea contact between the people groups living on these mainlands was negligible. New European improvements in nautical advancements brought about vessels being better outfitted to manage the flowing flows in the 15th century. It was presently conceivable to start crossing the Atlantic Ocean. The Portuguese set up a navigator school, in any case. There was a lot of discussion on whether it existed and the off chance that it did, exactly what it was. Somewhere in 1600 and 1800, around 300,000 mariners who occupied the slave exchange visited West Africa. During this undertaking, they came into contact with social orders living along the African West Coast and the Americas, which they had at no other time experienced. The historian Pierre Chaunu named the outcomes of the European route, disenclavement, denoting a conclusion of seclusion for specific networks and an expansion in between cultural association for most others. History specialist John Thornton noticed, a few specialized and topographical elements combined to make Europeans the almost certain individuals to investigate and build up its Atlantic trade. He distinguished them as being headed to discover new and beneficial business openings outside Europe. Moreover, the longing to make an elective exchange network constrained by the Muslim Ottoman Empire of the Middle East could adjust the business, political, strict danger to European Christendom. It's unmistakable, European brokers needed to exchange for gold found in Western Africa. It likewise tracked down an oceanic course to the Indies, India, where they could purchase extravagance merchandise. For example, flavors without determining these things from Middle Eastern Islamic dealers. Although Iberians drove many of the underlying Atlantic maritime investigations, numerous European ethnicities were included, including mariners from Spain, Portugal, Italian realms, England, France, and the Netherlands. This variety guided Thornton to portray the underlying, Atlantic investigation, as a truly worldwide exercise, regardless of whether a considerable lot of the emotional revelations were under the Iberian ruler's sponsorship. That administration later offered a path to the legend that the Iberians were the sole heads of the investigation. African subjection. Gatherings of men, youngsters, and ladies took to a slave market. Servitude was pervasive in numerous African areas for a long time before starting the Atlantic Slave Exchange. There is proof of trafficking to states in Africa, Europe, Asia before the European colonization of the Americas. The Atlantic Slave Exchange wasn't the solitary exchange from Africa. Notwithstanding, it was the biggest in mass and force. As archived in Le Monde Diplomatique composed by Alikia Mbakolo the African landmass depleted its HR using all courses across the Sahara, the Red Sea, Indian Ocean ports, and across the Atlantic. It recorded 10 centuries of subjugation to assist the Muslim nations, from the 10th to the 19th century. 4 million prisoners, traded using the Red Sea and another 4 million through the Swahili ports of the Indian Ocean. Maybe numerous as 9 million by the Trans-Saharan Troop Course, and 11 to 20 million across the Atlantic Ocean. Contingent upon different creators, Europeans, as a rule, purchased subjugated individuals, as reported by John K. Thornton, caught in endemic fighting between African states. A few Africans had worked together to acquire Africans from adjoining ethnic gatherings or war prisoners and sell them. It's prominent this training is reported in the slave trade debates of England in the mid-19th century. 
Individuals living close to the Niger River were shipped from slave markets to the coast, where they were, sold at European exchanging ports trade for guns, and delivered merchandise like material or liquor. The European interest for slaves, be that as it may, gave a sizable new market to the existing all-around exchange. In an examination, those held in bondage in their district of Africa may want to get away. Those Africans dispatched away had the minimal possibility of getting back to Africa. European colonization and subjection in West Africa, they were currently introducing themselves before the Mani Congo. The Portuguese at first developed a decent connection with the Kingdom of Congo. A common conflict inside Congo would prompt many of its subjects to wind up as slaves on Portuguese and European vessels. After finding new grounds through their maritime investigations, European colonizers before long started moving to and getting comfortable regions outside their local mainland. Off Africa's coast, European travelers, under the bearings of the Castile Kingdom, attacked and colonized the Canary Islands during the 15th century and changed a significant part of the land over to the creation of wine and sugar. They likewise caught Canary Islanders locals, the Guanches, to use as slaves on the islands and across the Christian Mediterranean. Antiquarian John Thornton brings up, the real inspiration for European development and navigational leap forwards was to abuse the chance for sure-fire benefits by attacking and the seizure or acquisition of exchange products. Utilizing the Canary Islands as a maritime base, Europeans, basically Portuguese brokers, dropped their exercises down Africa's western coast, performing assaults in which slaves caught were sold in the Mediterranean. Although at first effective in this endeavor, it was not some time before African maritime powers were made aware of the new perils. The Portuguese, raiding, ships started to meet energetic and dynamic opposition, with the groups of a few of them being killed by African mariners, whose boats prepared for crossing Africa's west drifts and waterway frameworks. By 1494, the Portuguese lord had started concurrences with the leaders of a few West African expresses that would allow exchange among their separate people groups, empowering the Portuguese to get traction into the very much created African business economy without taking part in threats. Quiet exchange turned into the standard up and down the African coast, in any case, there were exemptions when demonstrations of hostility prompted savagery. For instance, Portuguese brokers attempted to vanquish 1535 the Bisagios Islands. Portugal, in 1571, upheld by the Kingdom of Congo, claimed the southwestern locale of Angola to get its imperiled monetary interest around there. Albeit the Congo later joined an alliance in 1591 to compel the Portuguese out, Portugal had gained traction on the mainland, which is kept on possessing until the 20th century. Despite a periodic viciousness among African and European powers, numerous African states guaranteed that any exchange went on in their terms, for example, forcing customs obligations on unfamiliar boats. In 1525, the Congolese Lord Afonso I caught a French vessel and its individuals for exchanging unlawfully on his coast. History specialists have broadly contended the idea of the connection between these African realms and European merchants. The Guyanese history specialist Walter Rodney, 1972, has kept an inconsistent relationship. Africans are constrained into the pioneer exchange with the more economically developed Europeans, trading crude materials and human slaves for produced merchandise. He contended that this financial economic accord tracing back to the 16th century prompted an immature Africa, time permitting. Different students of history upheld these thoughts included Ralph Austin, 1987. 
This thought of an inconsistent relationship was questioned in 1998 by John Thornton, who contended that the Atlantic slave exchange was not as basic to the African economy as numerous researchers accepted, and that African assembling was more than fit during this period in taking care of rivalry from pre industrial Europe. However, Anne Bailey, remarking on Thornton's thought that Africans and Europeans were equivalent accomplices in the Atlantic slave exchange, composed, considering Africans to be accomplices in FERS relative terms and similar impact on the exchanges worldwide and intercontinental cycles. Africans altogether affected the actual mainland. In any case, they had no immediate power over the motors behind the business in the capital firms, the vehicle and insurance agencies of Europe and America, or the America's estate frameworks. They didn't waive any effect on the structure producing focuses of the West. 16th, 17th, and 18th century, the Atlantic Slave Exchange usually separates into two known periods. The first and second Atlantic systems. The first Atlantic framework was the traffic of African captives to the settlements in South America of the Portuguese and Spanish domains. It represented over 3% of all Atlantic slave dealing. It started, on a critical scale, around 1502 and proceeded until 1580 when Portugal briefly joined Spain. While the Portuguese straightforwardly exchanged oppressed people groups, the Spanish realm depended on the Asiento framework, granting traders, for the most part from different nations, to traffic subjugated individuals to their states. During the principal Atlantic framework, the majority of the brokers were Portuguese, giving them close syndication. Some Dutch, English and French dealers likewise partook in the exchange. After the association, Portugal went under the Spanish principle, forbidding it from straightforwardly captivating the slave exchange as a transporter. It turned into an objective for Spain's conventional foes, losing an enormous portion of the business to the Dutch, English, and French. The second Atlantic slave framework was the exchange of Africans by English, Portuguese, French and Dutch dealers. The fundamental objections at this stage were the Caribbean provinces and Brazil, as European countries developed financially slave-subordinate settlements in the New World. Over 3% of individuals subjugated from Africa exchanged between 1450, 1600, and 16% in the 17th century. A portrait of Ayuba Suleiman Diallo, Job Ben Solomon, painted by William Hoare in the 18th century roughly over the portion of the whole slave transportation happened during the 18th century, with British, Portuguese, and French being the leading dealers of the vast majority of slaves kidnapped in Africa. The English in 1690 was shipping the most slaves from West Africa. They supported this situation during the 18th century, turning into the most significant transporters of slaves across the Atlantic. By the 18th century, Angola had gotten one of the fundamental wellsprings of the Atlantic Slave Exchange. Following the British and United States restrictions on the African exchange in 1808, it declined. In any case, the period that followed still represented 28.5% of the complete volume of Atlantic slave dealing. Somewhere in the range of 1810 and 1860, well over 3.5 million slaves were moved, with 850,000 during the 1820s. The slave trade 1840 by Auguste Francois Biard, in Campeche, Mexico, a graveyard shows slaves brought there not long after Hernán Cortés completed the oppression of the Aztec and Mayans in Mexico during the 16th century. The memorial park was being used from around 1550 to the late 17th century. Three-sided exchange. The leading site of the Triangle Exchange was the vehicle of items from Europe to Africa. 
A few African lords and purveyors participated occupied with oppressed individuals from 1440 to 1833. For every hostage, the African rulers would secure an assortment of merchandise from Europe. These included weapons, ammo, and other industrial facility-made items. The second leg of the triangle shipped slaves across the Atlantic Ocean to the Americas and the Caribbean islands. The last and third phase of the triangle was the arrival of items to Europe from the Americas. The wares were slave work manners and included cotton, sugar, tobacco, molasses, and rum. Sir John Hawkins, viewed as the pioneer of the British slave exchange, was quick to maintain the triangular business, benefiting at each stop. Work and servitude. All in all, the Atlantic slave exchange and other things, work lack, were made by the pilgrims of Europe to misuse New World land and assets for capital benefits. Local individuals were first used as slave work by Europeans until a vast number died from exhaust and Old World illnesses. Elective wellsprings of business, like contracted subjugation, neglected to give a sufficient labor force. Most yields couldn't be sold for the benefit or even filled in Europe. Trading vegetables and products from the New World to Europe as often as possible end up being more beneficial than collecting them on the European terrain. A generous proportion of work was needed to make and support ranches that necessary escalated work to develop, gather, and oversee valued tropical harvests. Western Africa, referred to in specific parts as the Slave Coast, later Central Africa turned into an asset for subjugated individuals to fulfill work needs. The principal justification for the steady lack of work was, with a lot less expensive land accessible and various landowners looking for laborers, free European outsiders immediately became landowners, consequently growing the requirement for laborers. Thomas Jefferson licensed the utilization of slave work to a limited extent to the morals, and the significant inactive recreation put away by slave work. For in a warm environment, no man will work for himself who can commit another to work for him. It is consistent with such an extent that of the owners of slaves, a little extent surely is at any point seen to work. In a 2015 paper, financial specialist Elena Esposito discussed that the oppression of Africans in pioneer America was recognizable because the American South was adequately warm and moist for jungle fever to flourish. The infection effects affected European pilgrims. Alternately, many oppressed Africans, taken from areas of Africa that facilitated potent strains of the disease, had effectively evolved regular protection from jungle fever. Esposito contended this brought about higher jungle fever endurance rates in the American South among subjugated Africans than among European workers, making them a more critical wellspring of work and empowering their utilization. African investment in the slave exchange. Slave brokers in Gore, Senegal, the 18th century, Africans assumed a significant part in the slave exchange, offering their hostages or detainees of battle to European purchasers. For the most part, the detainees and hostages sold by certain convictions were from adjoining or faux-ethnic gatherings. They were outcasts, not a piece of the ethnic community or clan. The African rulers held no dedication. Here and there, lawbreakers would be sold so they wouldn't carry out wrongdoings around there. Slaves were obtained from kidnappings or attacks at gunpoint utilizing joint endeavors with the Europeans. However, some African lords would not take an interest or sell any of their prisoners in hoodlums. A previous slave king Jaja of Opobo, by an unverified record, would not do any business with the slave masters. As indicated by Ibsen, Africans, specifically Ghana, likewise occupied with the slave exchange through intermarriage, or cassere, signifying, to set up house. 
It's gotten from the Portuguese word, casar, meaning, to wed. Casare made political and monetary ties among European and African slave merchants. Casare was a pre-European practice used to acclimatize the others from various African clans. Unique West African fellowships utilized these relationships as collusions to fortify their exchange networks with European men by pledging off African ladies from families with connections to the slave exchange. Right off the bat in the Atlantic slave exchange, these relationships were normal. The associations performed utilizing African traditions, which Europeans didn't have a problem with, perceiving how significant the associations were. European collaboration in the African exchange. Even though Europeans were on the lookout for slaves, Europeans barely at any point entered Africa's inside because of the dread of sickness and furious African obstruction. In Africa, sentenced hoodlums were rebuffed by oppression, which became more common as subjugation became fulfilling. Since most countries didn't have detainment frameworks, estimated convicts were sold or utilized in the scattered nearby homegrown slave market. In 1778, Thomas Kitchen announced that Europeans were moving around 52,000 captives to the Caribbean consistently. The French carried the most Africans to the French West Indies, 13,000 out of the yearly gauge. During and after the Congo Civil War, the Atlantic Slave Exchange topped over the most recent 20 years of the 18th century. Battles among little states along the Niger River's Igbo occupied area and the going with banditry likewise spiked in this period. Another justification for the excess stockpile of slaves was significant fighting completed by extending states, similar to the realm of Dahomey, the Oyo Empire, and the Asante Empire. Slavery, as a contrast in Africa and the New World. Differing types of subjugation existed in Africa and the New World. All in all, Africa's bondage was not heritable. That is, the offspring of slaves were free, while in the Americas, offspring of slave moms viewed as naturally introduced to subjugation. This differentiation associated with domination in West Africa was not saved for racial or strict minorities, as it was in European settlements. Notwithstanding, the case was generally in places like Somalia, where they accepted Bantus as slaves for the ethnic Somalis. The treatment of African slaves was more factor than in the Americas. In one limit, the lords of Dahomey regularly butchered slaves in hundreds or thousands in conciliatory ceremonies and slaves as human penances in Cameroon. Notwithstanding, Scottish pilgrim Mungo Park composed, slaves in different local people regularly treated as relatives, received kids, with significant rights, including the option to wed without their lord's consent. I guess the slaves in Africa, he said, are almost in the available number of three to one to the freemen. They guarantee no pay for their administrations aside from food and apparel and treated with generosity or seriousness as indicated by their lord's fortunate or unfortunate manner. The slaves brought from the inside might be partitioned into two discrete, unmistakable classes. First, being slaves from their introduction to the world, having been brought into the world of slave moms. Also, for example, were conceived free, however, who a while later, by whatever implies, became slaves. Those of the prominent portrayals are by a wide margin the most various. Who have been listening to transcripts from, The African American Experience Wisdom, The Atlantic Slave Trade by Butch Leake, the eastern Mediterranean bordering Ottoman territory was the scene of protracted piracy. In the 18th century, piracy continued to be a consistent threat to maritime traffic in the Aegean. In our next podcast episode, we will explore the Barbary slave trade.
Clubhouse Podcast Radio Show is brought to you by the Drifters Legends Clubhouse LLC. For more on our publications, audiobooks, and podcast, visit the Drifters Legends Clubhouse at www.thedrifterslegendsclubhouse.com or log into the Clubhouse on Facebook. Transcripts and ebooks can be found at clubhousebookacademy.store.